after about a year, we came to a point where they said, okay, it's time to make a decision. Do you want to get involved in this? They actually even wanted me as a banker to go and be a structurist, they call it, or, or do presentations to show people this, the program. And you know what? We smelled something funny. We I had a gut feel, but at the time it was emotions and my wife had just retired and I was now solo guy and running a company as an executive, the guy at the top, a lot of time raising kids. And we made the decision to invest. And so we did. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. To join our community, go to myworstinvestmentever.com and receive the following five free benefits. First, you get the risk reduction checklist I created from the lessons I've learned from all my guests. Second, you get my weekly email to help you increase your investment return. Third, you get a 25% discount on all ASTOTS Academy courses. Fourth, you get access to our Facebook community to get to know guests and fellow listeners. And finally, you get my curated list of the top 10 podcast episodes. Fellow risk takers, this is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stotts from ASTOTS Academy. And I'm here with featured guest, Tom Dutta. Tom, are you ready to rock? I am ready to rock. Let's do it. Now, for the listeners out there who aren't seeing the video, the neat thing about Tom and myself is we have the same hairstyle. <laughs> yeah, I call this my COVID-19 haircut, so I'll just have to deal with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I call my haircut the last of what I can possibly produce on my head. <laughs> Luckily, I can still produce it on my chin, but not on the top of my head. <laughs> let, me, let me introduce you to the audience. Tom Dutta is an award-winning CEO, number one international, best-selling author, a TEDx speaker, radio, and film producer. In fact, his book is called The Way of the Quiet Warrior. You can get it on Amazon, and you'll notice that he's got a rating of 4.9 out of 5, which is just amazing. Transforming leaders and companies worldwide, Tom believes real change starts at the top. He is dedicated to changing our view of mental health in the workplace by breaking the silence, telling his story of struggle, and being a leader by example. Tom, take a minute and fill any further tidbits about your life. Well, first of all, thanks, Andrew, for having me on the show, and hi to your listeners. Well, you know, I used to introduce myself and say, you know, I've been uh, for 30 years a senior executive. I've done everything right up to CEO and through 11 different transactions, mergers, acquisitions, some failed, some didn't chairman of the board for a decade. But I want to let you in on a secret. When I did my TED talk in February 2020, I failed the first time. And they said, I had got a coach. And I said, coach, give me some coaching. And she said, I got to tell you, when they first met you, they didn't really like you. And I, I always like a punch in the gut, man. So I said, well, what are you talking about? They said, well, it's really not about your book or your business or it, it's about your idea. So now I introduce myself this way. I, you know, I, I stumbled into business. I did very well because of some great people around me. And I decided 10 years ago to, instead of coaching and building others' dreams, is to, to create my own company and become a teacher. Andrew would teach the wisdom what I learned to other people. And I'm on a mission. And so that's why I said, hey, I'd love to be on your show. Mm. Well, it's great to have you here. And I'm really excited. I know you and I talked for a little bit before the show. I'm excited to, to hear your story. 
and learn from it. So now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever, ever, ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances <laughs> leading up to it and then tell us your story. Well, I don't know how much time I have here. Something tells me this could be a two, three parts series. You know, I've had enough time to think about it. Yeah, I'll take you back to 2006, actually. And so getting in the store, I want, I want to paint a picture to the audience, okay? I want to get this in your mind that in 1996, I, I was married to my amazing wife. Today, we celebrate over 25 years being together. And she was a career banker. And at the time when I met her, we met in one of Canada's largest banks. And my career grew fast. I became a CEO at the age of 31. And at about that time, I was traveling a lot, Andrew, and I wasn't home. I had orphaned my daughter for many, many years. But man, I had this incredible job and I was traveling and I was well paid. And all of a sudden came with that, the lifestyle. We, without getting into all the details personal, we did have a beautiful home. You know, we had the house at the lake up in the Okanagan here, which is a part of British Columbia. They, the Sonora Desert comes up from the United States. It's the warmest climate in Canada. And we used to go there every year. I, so my daughter take her first steps in the hotel room. It was beautiful. And so this was the lifestyle. My wife's 10 years older than I, so we had this timeline as bankers that we were going to retire at some point, but probably 10 years apart. Well, at that time, three kids, two stepsons, which I was raising, and my daughter came along. Today, she's 23 in the university. And so life couldn't be better. But here's the thing, Andrew, as a financial guy, that's why I started in banking. I think I told you offline, I, I was licensed to sell mutual funds. This was before advisory came out. So I got my life's license to sell insurance and I started talking to people. And what was funny, I was a young guy and coming into my office as a branch manager, there were doctors, pilots, accounts. And like, here's little Tommy. And these people are in their 50s and 60s. I had no life experience. And here I am counseling them. And man, I'll tell you that every financial statement I looked at when we did their lending was a train wreck. Mm. These were people who were advisors to others and they were highly leveraged in debt and they were spending more than they were bringing in. So I remember looking at that back then rather arrogantly because I had a bit of an ego saying, that's crazy. I would never put myself in that position. Well, I guess like they say, Andrew, a quality of life and a quantity of stuff don't necessarily line up. And so in 2006, three significant events in my life happened. At the peak of my career with all this amazing life that we were blessed with, my wife's, one of my wife's parents had a major medical setback. And my wife is part of a, a traditional Italian family, and she was very close to her mom. On the strength of my employment as a C-level executive, I said, honey, because the bank was giving her a lot of work to do, and then she had to balance this caring for mom. I said, well, why don't you consider taking an early retirement? And so she did. At that time, the bank had merged with one of their trust companies, and they were looking for ways to shed some costs. So I gave my wife control of it. I said, whatever you want, I will lead the way. And she retired. Right about that time, we had moved into a, a home, a nicer home, and our neighbors who were behind the fence, it was a senior 65-year-old plus, and there was this guy, and he was gray-haired, and he was kind of thin, and he was always in his garden gardening. Now, if you can picture, here's my porch on my house in a corner lot, and I'm overlooking this house, kitty corner, and there's this big backyard with a double-decker house, and there's this guy in there every day, and he's got two Corvettes parked in the parking lot. 
these are like $80,000 Corvettes and he's gardening all day. And I'm going like, dude, I love to cook. I should just be in the kitchen cooking here. Yet I'm slaving as an executive on an airplane. Like, what's your secret? Hmm. And they didn't really connect to us. But one day I walked over, I was out pressure washing my driveway. And I said, what do you do? And he says, oh, well, we help people structure their finances. And I said, oh, that's interesting. But he didn't say anything else. And of course, back then I'm kind of going like, well, you know, I'm a banker and I kind of know a lot of that. Well, we got invited over and one thing led to another and we started learning more that they became part of an investment house, a structure of an investment. And they asked us to come to a presentation. And so my wife and I very innocently went, sat in a room and there was a presentation and they presented everything. And it was, it was an investment where we could earn higher rate of return. And, you know, right about that time, there was a perfect storm because my wife had retired. We had received a fairly large retirement pension for her, as well as we had a lot going on financially. We had saved up a lot for ourselves. So it was everything we'd worked for. And, well, we took a year to check this out. And it looked pretty legit. And it was actually what it was, was a series of investments. Now, I, I don't mind sharing with you the name of the investment because if somebody Googles it, they'll find it. And it's been on the news, but this is a long time ago. It was called the IFFL, the Institute for Financial Learning. Now, if you, it's basically they set up as an institutional arm. So it would be something like your investment advisory group, if it was you. And they basically showed us structures. Structures on how you could take investments and restructure them and earn a higher rate of return. And on the surface, it looked fairly decent. Because one of the things that was disguised, some of the investments were disguised through some of our bank's self-directed RSP programs. Of course, as bankers, we're looking at it going like, okay, it's through a charter bank investment program. looks pretty interesting. Well, through that year, we did our due diligence. We actually were flown over to one of the other provinces in Canada to meet the president and CEO of this group, IFFL. And this guy was like, he was a salesman, but he seemed like he was, he was insurance-based. We went through all of this. They even had a gathering of a 1,000 people in one, one part where they invited us. And they had the companies that were part of the structure that the investors were investing through their savings, retirement savings plans. The companies were brought in to talk to the investors or potential investors. So there was one fellow who had a Stetson cap on. He was, he was running a mining company. There's another fellow who's running this company. They even brought in people connected to their leadership teams. And here's the thing. I was a financial guy myself and having been through a lot of mergers, including leading one myself in the last few years, we would set up a data room and we would exchange information and do due diligence. So my wife and just said, you know what, before we take her pension and we do some things, let's just look at this. So, man, we took a year and at the same time, there was this health issue and stuff going on with my wife's mom. So we really weren't doing anything. But after about a year, we came to a point where they said, okay, it's time to make a decision. Do you want to get involved in this? They actually even wanted me as a banker to go and, and be a structurist, they call it, or, or do presentations to show people this, the program. And you know what? We smelled something funny. We I had a gut feel, but at the time it was emotions and my wife had just retired and I was now solo guy and running a company as an executive, the guy at the top, a lot of time raising kids. And we made the decision to invest. And so we did. And man, the first year was amazing. The returns were great and we were receiving the cash flow started coming and the whole plan was to 
give us a runway while my wife was off work when she was eventually going to go back to work at some point. This was not a retirement. She was still pretty mm. young. And to use that just to basically maintain our lifestyle, to take some pressure off me. And the return seemed better. After in 2007, another big event happened. And I always like to say to your audience that have a backup plan of income, no matter what your career. Now, I was a hired gun, they called it. So my job, Andrew, was to go in and turn companies around, uh, right size, downsize. And it so happened that my company, which was a global, I think it was a multi-billion dollar group of financial companies. I, re- I was a Canadian head. They went through a merger and acquisition and they handed me my future. And so my job was eliminated. I knew it was might have been a risk. Hard guns are usually three to five year horizon because we do a lot of heavy lifting and we move on. I was given my future in a couple months severance and my income went away. Mm. And right about one, I remember sitting in my car saying to my wife, look, honey, I can go back and get back into a six figure income. One month later, I went to the bank to withdraw some of the investment return we were getting and it declined. And it was at that point where we literally woke up, my wife not having a job, looking after her mom, me just being laid off or downsized, which was the second time in my career. And we had nothing, no income. So we had all the debt to pay, the houses and the life stuff, nothing. So imagine waking up to your audience, having three children, having a mortgage to pay on your home and, and other debts and having a combined income of you know almost mid six figures and, and you're done. I, <laughs> I, you know, maybe I'll stop there if you want to ask me mm. any specific questions, but I'll tell you this, just to wind the clock forward. The next year I bounced back. I went back and did some work as an executive, got my six figure income going. We had no idea. This was the world's largest Ponzi scheme. The total take in globally, we were told was a billion dollars. Now I'm saying the world's largest, I'm not right. sure, but somebody said that. The total take in North America was 400 million, 2,000 investors. And to give you an idea of how hard this was, my wife and I were blessed because we had, we were young enough and I had enough career experience to get back and work. And she could, we had resources. We just unfortunately lost all of our liquid resources. But the thing about it is stories I want to, I'll just tell you a couple. There was a couple we met who were 65 in their 60s, 65 to 70. They had built five businesses over a lifetime. They liquidated all of them and put them into this. And we learned just as we got out of this that the wife was working at McDonald's. There's like $7 million, I think, they put in. There were NFL athletes. There were police officers. There were financial people. There were lawyers involved in this that made us feel that, you know what, you know, join the team because, yeah. you know, everybody's legit here. The last thing is, is that there was sadly, I think, one suicide and mm. I never really went down that path, but mm. I'll stop there. This yeah. was 2007 and here we are literally with a wake up call saying, okay, this was our sucker punch, but I'm a fighter and we built back. We don't talk yeah. about it because it's 16 years ago, but Yeah. So maybe we can review the lessons that you learned. Well, I was thinking about that many. Number one is when I, based on being an employed employee, I did a lot of research after and I said to myself, I only have 10 years where I want to rebuild my life, but I never want to travel like I did. And I only have this many years. So what should I do? And in a paying job, wasn't it with 50% mm. tax? So I started looking into how to create wealth. And so my first lesson was, 
whatever I do to rebuild, create a platform where it would pay me as I sleep and it would be a saleable asset. So I, I actually built my own business. I created a platform, my people development company. Attached to that now is uh, my author work, my book, my TEDx talk. I've, we're having a movie made and multiple revenue streams, got into public speaking. So I actually, at the peak of that business, just you know, a few years ago, at the peak where I last looked, we were almost back to replacing my income. And it was, it was fantastic. So that's the first mm-hmm. thing is don't get back into the same playing field. Number two is due diligence isn't enough. So quite frankly, go outside the bubble of whatever the program is and talk to other people who are experts. And so I learned this in corporate. I don't know why I didn't do it, but go to, I had friends who were lawyers, accounts who were external and go to them with the info and say, okay, no emotion, take a look and give me your your Mm. thoughts and follow your gut. I think everybody listening to this with a story would say they had a gut feel. And you know, the old cliche, it's too good to be true, Andrew. Yep. Well, I sniff that. But the mm-hmm. thing is, we are, when you're in emotion, the emotional side of the brain, which is the joy side, it's like buying a timeshare. When you're in the joy side, the, the dream side of the brain, you literally vision and connect to the future. It's always like, wow, this is going to be great for our future. You, yeah. you get out of the analytical side. So get back into that analytical side, follow your gut. And can I just mm-hmm. give you one more thing? Yeah. yeah. Which I really thought about. A study was done in Canada, actually, on when you get to 90, the top three regrets. I'll leave this as a gift for you. In the data that came in, the top three regrets of 90-year-olds were, number one, I didn't risk enough. Number two, I didn't reflect enough. And number three, I didn't leave a big enough contribution or legacy. So we took a big risk. We didn't reflect enough on it. But now after, the biggest lesson is I've created a legacy. I have now a business, we've recovered, and we are better than we ever were with almost no debt. Mm. So now we have a better lifestyle today than we would have when we were even before this snowed under. Exciting. Well, let me share some of the things that I took away. I mean, the first thing, you know, you started off the story talking about the guy with the Corvette, two Corvettes. (laughs) And it made me think about the idea that manipulators and all that are, are masters at these types of magnets. Yeah. And these types of magnets attract people and they know exactly what they're doing. They don't keep it, you know, in a garage or something like that. You know, they, they display it. And I would also say the second thing I take away, you know, you talked about, you know, having a meeting with a thousand people in an event and, you know, you saw all these people. They're also masters at building credibility. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, my big lesson from this is just the idea that there are people out there that really, really, will come across as very credible and very successful and they're experts at that. Otherwise they would never be successful at this type of thing. And so I think what the lesson I take from what you've taught is that we all need to be aware of that. And that also takes me back to your due diligence isn't enough. You know, you really, really have to explore something from every angle. Anything you'd add to that? Just one. Through the last few years, I, I think I told you offline, I had a bit of an accident. I fell, fell mm. and got a serious concussion and my life stopped for about a year. I know this is not a faith-based show, but I was never really one into my faith, but I started you know, reading the Bible and, and praying a lot to get my health back because mm. I was self-employed. And here's the thing I learned to everybody, building your life for the material things in the real world is not what it's about. 
a lot of times the people who chase self-worth bigger, 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 you know, millions of dollars in net worth, a lot of times they're missing something else in their life. So today we, our target isn't to be multimillionaires. Our target is to live within our means, have what we, we need and live by our faith. And that's what's pushed us through this. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really what got us through the time. So we didn't end up <laughs> one of those on the, uh, on the list of the, you know, the suicidal list for sure. Well, it's a great reminder because during these very difficult times, you know, a lot of us just don't have, you know, we're not sure what to do and how to handle it. And I know from my perspective, I've had my days of just falling to my knees and, you know, surrendering and just yeah. saying, let go, it's going to be okay, do the next right thing. And don't, you know, sometimes you just can't control everything. And so sometimes the irony is that you surrender to win. Yeah, you know, so absolutely. So based upon what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? I'm picturing you looking over your fence and seeing two Corvettes <laughs> and a guy just raking a lawn. Okay, so if I'm in that situation or whatever, you know, what, what advice would you give? You know, having looked back at all this, I guess my advice would be really simple. And it seems kind of maybe basic, but to go back and create a vision of what the future of your life should look like mm-hmm. and really take a look at the whole life and what's more most important to you and then build your dreams and investments around that. And a lot of times it'll solve itself. Yep. You'll find that the dream you need for the future, it's not all money. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Well, for the next 12 months, well, I'll tell you, the the company is doing well and we've got many projects on the go. So my number one goal is to double the income stream from the company mm-hmm. and execute on a few projects that I have. So that's number one. Number two, my wife and I tied to that a personal goal is we're going to Bali when the COVID opens up to celebrate our 25th anniversary. And Beautiful. we're planning to write another book and... I'll write the last chapter there. So two goals. Mm. Don't forget mm. about personal. <laughs> yep. So maybe just tell the audience about Create and your website and so yep. that they can understand more and what's there. Check it out. Yeah. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Andrew. Mm. The website is www.create, uh, play on words, K-R-E-A-T dot C-A. Particularly, you can visit my book page to see my author work. And media page, there's a lot of things there. But we basically have a company that teaches entrepreneurs, business owners, corporate leaders. We train them. And so I take the years I've had an experience. We do communications workshops. We help teams be more effective, uh, get called into coach one-to-one executives, and particularly build cultures sometimes that aren't working very well. From that, I'm an author, so I have book work I do. I'm public speaking. And uh, we're working on a movie project now. The The book is mm. being made into a feature film, which, by the way, are all threads of revenue lines from the business platform. This didn't happen by by accident. So. Yep. yep. Great. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. My number one goal for the next 12 months is to help you, my listener, reduce risk and increase return in your life. To achieve this, I've created our community at myworstinvestmentever.com, and I look forward to seeing you there. As we conclude, Tom, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. And on behalf of A Stotts Academy, 
I hereby award you alumni status for turning your worst investment ever into your best teaching moment. Yes. Do you have, yeah. Do you have any parting words for the audience, for the crowd? Oh, it, you know what? Just follow this guy and I'd be happy to look further into what that, what that is an honor. And I don't have any parting words other than tell your story, everybody. Keep telling it if you've lost it all or lost something, because in that is really the answer to the future. And by the way, I learned through my loss that sometimes we have to look in the mirror. It's mm. not always someone else's fault. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Great. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and protect our well fellow risk takers. This is your worst podcast host, Andrew Stott, saying, I'll see you on the upside.